Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. Now, Treaders, I'm excited about this one. We've got a great mate and former colleague joining us, James Begley, the co-founder of Pickstar, an online marketplace to engage sports stars for commercial deals and events. Well, I know you're excited. I know he's excited. It sort of almost makes me sick. You blokes are that excited together. But Beggs is one of the rare ones. He's transitioned from an AFL player to a tech starter founder. Well, he played over seven years in the AFL, first with the Saints, then with the Crows. He moved into the leadership space, uh, first working with leading teams. Then by the age of 27, was general manager of leadership and development with the Fremantle Football Club in Perth. An entrepreneur at heart, Beggs then founded his own leadership consultancy group, working with some of Australia's biggest companies. While most people would be pretty satisfied at this point, he then partnered up with AFL legend Matthew Pavlich to found a Pickstar. Despite plenty of highs and lows, Beggs has become a pioneer in the talent activation space, recently raising $5 million in venture capital and spinning out a second company, Vlast, which helps sports organisations activate and manage talent whilst also taking his companies global or Beggs. You're lucky you got time to speak to us. Welcome. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I've achieved a bit, doesn't it? It never feels like that, but I, I, I am really excited to be back. And, and, and Treaders, I, I hope you don't feel like the third wheel in this conversation. Um, obviously, having known Andrew for, for a long period of time, so it's great to be here. Yeah, it's almost like that relationship where you bring your mate along because you like the girl and then your mate just hopefully stands on the rock for the rest of the day. So I'll just go back to my rock. <laughs> yeah, now Treaders... Beggs and I could waffle on a fair bit, but it would be absolute nonsense if you weren't here to kind of keep us on the on the straight and narrow. So, Beggs, mate, stoked to have you here. Now, as a startup founder, you had to deal with a pandemic, crazy markets, and now a banking crisis. What would you prefer to deal with all that stuff or a Byron Pickett shirt front, the images <laughs> that I used to pull out all the time and share with you? Uh, yeah, no, look, it's a fair question, um, it, you know, and I have reflected on it a lot, I guess, as I've got older. Um, I, I have to say the business world, the startup world is is so much harder than football. Um, and, the, and the main reason for that I've found is that there is such a rigid structure with football and, and you really just, you know, you, you perform your role and there is support and there is a, you know, really clear goal. There's benchmarks. Um whilst it's an incredibly demanding career, um, you know, you're living in a landscape that you know. I think the thing that I've found hardest with business is the unknown nature of a startup and, and constantly being unsure as to if what you're doing is right and not knowing if the results you're getting are good enough. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, every year you're growing as a business, you're doing better. You know, it's almost like winning a gold medal every year, but that's kind of the, what you have to do. It's not even like successful. That's just the, the formula that you need. 
So um, whilst football takes you to some dark places and, and I think gives you some immense highs, there's a comfort in, in, in knowing you're within, you know, a team of 46 and, you know, support staff. So the isolated nature, I guess, of business has probably been the hardest part of it. Now, we're going to talk about the startup challenges shortly, but if you turned your clock back to a little James Begley, it was growing up, um, did you think your life would be anywhere near what it is now? Well, firstly, I, I was pretty intent on playing for the Australian cricket team, so I, I, I was. Well, you failed. Yeah, which I, which, which soon went out the door when I was playing for the Sturt Under Sixteen Reds, and Mick Weatherall didn't pick me for the state team. But anyway, I won't, I won't go on <laughs> about that. Um, no, it's good to get it off your chest. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I don't think so. I, I think um, you know, I, I look at what we've sort of done, what I've done now, and. You're pretty, you're pretty raw and naive when you're young, and I, I don't think I had any real sense of what 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 it could be. No, were you always an entrepreneurial thinker, or did that come later? Well, sometimes is that just a euphemism for being lazy and doing the things that you want to do? Um, because if that's the case, I think I was always hyper focused and passionate about my interests, and I was very quick to dismiss and get involved in things which didn't interest me. So, no, I was never a, a you know, your classic entrepreneur sort of starts with, I was selling chips at lunchtime and making 50 cents a packet. And then I moved on to, you know, reselling protein powder when I got into uni. Like business was never in my life and never at, you know, in my family. I didn't have any commercial acumen or background. So it was was pretty sport related. Um, But I think as I've got a bit older, I probably recognise that maybe that creativity was always there. I just probably didn't know it. Um, so we talk about Pickstar. How does that idea come about? You're working in the leadership space in Fremantle before that, obviously, um, in, still in the AFL system. And then you really, as you say, didn't have too much uh, business experience at that time. So how do, how's that born? Yeah, one, a dash of kind of um, naivety and a, and a dash of like, you know, you can take over the world, really. It was, I was sitting there and um, I think the first catalyst was that I, I actually did want to be in business and I, I did set myself the challenge. I just want to be in business, whatever that means. And I don't think I wanted to work for someone else. And that, so they were the two big drivers. Um, and I sat down one day and literally just penned out, well, if I was going to start a business, what would it look like? Like, what are the attributes? What are the areas that I'd maybe start a business in? And, and that, was, that was literally the genesis. And as Andrew's, you know, and anyone that's worked for me knows, like I've still got the kind of finger painting of the way that the business may look. Um, you know, I've got those bits of paper still. And, and so I sat down and literally just thought, well, I'm in sport. So if I'm going to start a business, it needs to be sort of in football because that's my background. And what, what's an area that I can see that's an issue? And I just started to go, well, it's funny because... You've got all these young and, 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 and senior footballers who wanted more commercial opportunities. So, like, they just wanted more gigs. And I knew, I guess, from the corporate side that they just, um, you know, that corporates wanted to access. And then we all know that the, the, the agent landscape, and it's a really difficult thing for agents to sort of be joining the dots. So my initial, like, drawings were literally just how do I bring these two worlds together using technology? And that was, that was probably the genesis of the idea many, many years ago. I mean, you talked about being kind of not equipped necessarily for business from an experience perspective. How did you see that sport 
had prepared you perhaps in ways that you may not have even realized? Yeah, it's a great one. Um, I, the, the, the fear of failure, you know, and, and you both know that sense of like, you. and it's a cliche to say you're always failing, but you do, you do grow a thicker skin with sport and you do learn that, you know, it's not the end of the world if, if you do something in, in, a, in a shitty way or it doesn't come off. So I think that's an attribute that prepares you. I think, and, and I've said this before, but, you know, having a case study of setting yourself to be drafted, um, Tred, is you, you've got the ultimate in um, setting a goal and achieving it, you know, grand final and, um, you know, but the, the point of view of like at 15, you go, I want to be drafted and three years of kind of setting a goal and working towards that and all of a sudden you achieve it, you realise at a really young age that you can achieve things um, and, and, and so I think that kind of bled into the ability to go, do you know what, like, I want to achieve this thing. It might take a few years. There's a few, you know, paths that I need to, to, to travel, but ultimately I'm, I'm well prepared. Um, and then the last thing is, um, you know, sort of football and sports, an amazing network with high net worth individuals. It's a huge launch pad. If you're half a smart footballer that you've got all these very, very successful business people clamoring to be around you and and so um you've got a instant um yeah instant launch pad to 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 either fund your business or to learn you mentioned as a 15 year old wanting to be drafted you obviously got to improve your fitness hopefully you grow a bit because at that stage we go what, what position we're going to end up playing um work on your speed work on your skills you then transition to, hey, I want to start a business. What's your first port of call? Do you call your accountant? Do you, do you, do you reach out? You know, I understand you're, you're an investor with, with Matthew Pavlich. Do you put your heads together? And then how do you put that piece together for people who might be listening to this thinking, hang on, I've got this great idea, but I really don't know how to get started. Yeah, um, and, and everyone's story is going to be different. Mine, it was funny. I, I literally did ring my accountant, so it's funny you say that, Tony Brawless, WVB. Uh, he, um, and I said, I'm going to start a business. So to make sure I'm serious about it, um, how much is it going to cost me to incorporate the business? And he said, oh, I don't know, two grand or something back then. Um, so I transferred two grand and got the business incorporated with no business model, with no, uh, I had a name called Active Pathways, um, but there was, there was nothing behind it. So for me, it was almost an internal marker to say, right, you've spent two grand on this now you're underway, like you, you've done something. Um, and, and that was the way I sort of began. And then the process was to go, I want to build it and then I want to show some people. And so the process over the next year or two was going and getting some money and then talking to Matthew. And, and the idea was I just want to create a prototype. I just want to build something that I can then show people to then maybe invest in. And that was my sole focus. Um, so I think my thinking is everyone's going to be different, but how do you force yourself to commit to something, which means you're going to move past what inevitably happens after nine months of a great idea, where then you, it becomes boring, it's, you get a fatigue with your idea, it's hard work, the, the lusters come off it. Um, how do you move through that nine-month depression with your new idea to then make it something real? So you've talked about the finger painting, where it started from, then the prototype. Can you give us a quick whip through of the evolution of this Pixar beast, particularly for those who maybe don't understand actually what it is and the purpose that it serves at the moment? Yeah. 
Look, the essence of what the platform does is streamline, you know, the A, the booking of, of celebrity talent, um, and then it provides a whole workflow behind the logistics to get the talent to deliver on their contracted deliverables. So it sounds wordy, but as traders would know or anyone in the media, there's a set number of things you have to do according to your contract and this platform effectively kind of makes that really easy to happen. So if I, if I work backwards, we started, um, you know, and, and uh, one of the, the core people in the business, Nathan Power, um, sort of worked with me on the early prototype, um, but it was exactly that. There was nothing scalable or automated about it. Um, probably the evolution of the business started to accelerate when I did arrive back in Adelaide and, and Andrew was, was effectively employee number one. And, um, and so we, we began, set about the task of, of A, trying to raise some money and get a platform, an automated platform that was built. And I think one of the big underestimations that anyone makes in tech is that, you know, it's not going to be that expensive. We've spent millions and millions of dollars on our technology over the past few years, and that's probably been conservative. Um, and so the, 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 the jump and the, the kind of the chasm that we, that we jumped was we, we raised about, I don't know, three or $400,000 and just about every penny of that went into technology, building the platform. Um, so that takes us to about 2018. Um, we were doing some, some smallish numbers. Uh, but effectively, as we've grown, the technology is just the same. It just takes on more volume. So we might have, you know, we've got three and a half thousand talent. We've got talent in the UK, US. Um, and then we, we've obviously built up. We'd probably do, I don't know, 10 or 15 bookings a day now. Um, and, and, you know, it ranges from, you know, ambassadorships right down to, you know, a Paralympian might be going to a school for, you know, for, 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 a, for a speech or a leadership day and everything in between. Um, for those outside the sports industry, and they're probably unlikely to know, you know, what it takes for an athlete to appear in an ad or an event or, you know, everyone talks about the Michael Jordan and the air and the percentage of revenue and all that sort of stuff. What's involved in the world of sports talent activation and how would you describe it? Yeah, um, great point. How would I describe it? It's a really significant asset that's underutilized and, and not maximized at the moment. So what do I mean by that? Let's take the AFL, for example. If you looked at raw numbers, the, the, the AFL PA agrees with the AFL that every single player in the AFL, as an example, needs to do 21 appearances. Now, you do the math. 46 players on a list times that by you know two lists, including the women, times by 21, times by 18. You're looking at close to 40,000 instances where the talent is doing something for a positive reason, whether it's a community or for brand partners. So that's got an immense value. That's, but, but at the moment, if you go to some you know, organisations like the AFL or even the NFL or you know, you know, we've been working with Cricket Australia for a while, but some organisations have no understanding about has that been completed? Has it been done? What's been done? Who did it? So, so we're bringing some, I guess, some rigor and accountability to what is an amazing asset. Um, and what we find is talent are all for it. They'll do it. But if it's poorly organized and James Begley, which has happened, you know, goes to the West Lakes Plaza and three people walk by and one of them says, well, you're not Andrew McLeod. 
and then you go home, it's probably not the greatest experience as a talent, you know. <laughs> like so, so if it's well organized and and it's and it's and it's um, done properly, then it's a it's a real weapon for sports to grow the game and maximize their their partnership dollars. And if I'm being really kind of lofty about it, talent activation, the way I see it, is the juncture between a brand, the community, and the talent and or club. So it's a really powerful moment. Um, and if it's done poorly, you can do a lot of brand damage and, um, you know, it doesn't look good on anyone. One of the things, I mean, you've spoken about it being underutilized, but, uh, you know, as you're kind of saying as well, it's it's very unsophisticated as well, like far less sophisticated than what most people would, would ever imagine when, you, when you're dealing with like some massive names and huge dollars. On the dollars side of it, one of the things that you and I used to talk about was just the unsophisticated nature of valuing talent. How do you see uh, kind of the process and, and what is the world like in terms of understanding how a Warren Treadray gets paid X amount of dollars to deliver on X amount of deliverables? And what is the process around that in terms of valuing talent? Great question. Um, more than ever, and it's really legitimate now, brands or people who engage talent, they look at the, the values of the talent. They go, does it match our brand? So that's the first point of call. And, and we go through an attribute mapping. So obviously, Andrew Montessi would have a range of different attributes, um, which he excels in and other things that just don't apply. And so the first thing you do um, is match up those attributes. Um, the second thing that you then start to look at is what type of um, engagement is does the brand partner want? So if it's um, you know if it's above the line marketing, if it's uh, you know TV related, or is it social? Most of the time, it all comes down to social. So they'll go to the values match. Do they have a social following? Now, what's the best way to use that talent? Um, and and then the dollars, um, you know, there's there's some benchmarking out there, um, but uh, you know that that's where I guess we've got an amazing sort of set of metrics over the years as we see the ebb and flow of those benchmarks according to what the brand wants. How big's the market for the talent like right now? Is it you talk about being underutilized? How big a market are we talking? It's not huge in Australia. I mean, you look at that in comparison to, you know, what we know gets booked overseas. So as an example, um, you know, we, 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 most agents wouldn't do stuff in the US for under $500,000. Here in Australia, um, you know, the amount of brand ambassadorships floating around, uh, you know, you can get an amazing result for $20,000 for a year, depending on, 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 who you're after. Um, so from a talent side, it's definitely a buyer's market. You know, from a talent perspective, it's really competitive. Um, so what we're what we're attempting to do is, is really activate that, you know, 20 to 150,000 because a lot of the time the big guys, you know, your Steve Smith and Pat Cummins and all that, like they're sorted. You know, they're going to make their millions um, and, and it's not really, they pick and choose. What we're looking to do is really kind of, with some volume, activate that sort of smaller to mid-tier ambassadorship. Pickstar is a disruptor of what can be a pretty old school space in sport. How are you navigating relationships with managers, administrators, 
other industry stakeholders because they can be friend and foe. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a sort of mixed up world, really. And in the beginning, like we got a lot of pushback from agents. Um, you know, to that point, the unsophisticated nature in the early days. I think they just saw everyone as a threat. Um, the, look, the way that we've probably dealt with it is is we just keep buttering up. We just keep hanging around. And it's funny, like money speaks all languages. So we can, if we hang around long enough and we're the ones out acquiring customers with a budget, you know, someone can yell at you one day. And then if you've got a, you know, a $5,000, $10,000 opportunity the next, you still, you call them and they still want to talk to you. So I think that's where we've really found our value is, is our customer acquisition, our performance marketing. So it's our ability to en masse get the people who have the budgets who want to spend money. And then we're effectively lead generators for agents and talent. Um, and then through our product, our Blast product, we've, we've been able to commercialize and build huge relationships you know, with Cricket Australia, with the AFL, um, NRL clubs, you know, A-League clubs, you know, so, so we've been able to service both sides of the market, I guess. The other one was, you know, has it evolved over time? Because I remember early days, you know, probably around the 2011, 2012, 2013 time, it was sort of appearance-based. Now it seems like it's an ambassador-based stuff. Now it's partnership-based. Now there's other kickoff industries. Where did it start at? Was it clearly Johnny Smith's whatever wants to get someone to appear for 500 bucks? And now what does it go to? Yeah, um, de- definitely it's got more sophisticated in, in terms of the needs. So, and I've said this a few times, in the old days, you know, you might go and get, let's go and get, um, you know, Mark Rusciuto or Mods for a couple hundred grand and we just become mates and, and they do stuff for us. Now it becomes, look, we, if we've got a 200 grand budget, we're going to spend 50 on an ambassador. We're going to spend 50 on social, uh, you know, influencers. We're going to do maybe five events and we're going to do a content campaign. Um, and so that fragmented nature of the marketing dollar means that um, it's much more targeted and people people really expect a return. So gone are the days um, where, you know, it, it, it's ad hoc and lax, albeit we still know mods gets booked for buck shows. So you know what? The world hasn't changed that much. And just a little bit further, it's almost like, it sounds like the relationship is, you know, everyone knows of a TV or a media buyer. It sounds like you're almost buying, you're in that space as well in terms of buying advertising, buying spots, buying opportunities. Yeah, you're dead right. And that and that's exactly what, say, a Telstra gets as part of its deal with the AFL. They will get hundreds of activations sort of wrapped into that and then they can use those activations, you know, in a way that they deem fit. But they're effectively buying potentially social campaigns, they're buying reach, they're buying followers, they're buying the audience. Um, and and I've, I've, that's probably been the massive uh, change is that talent themselves know that they are a channel to consumers. Um, and, and that's all on the back of social, um, that they do know their worth now. And they also understand that, um, you know, if, if they are, uh, if they're interesting online, then it's going to mean dollars. So I guess in terms of evol- like the evolution of talent, as Treaders was touching on, can you maybe talk us through the business side of the athlete and and kind of how how the the business of athletes has really evolved? I mean, we had a guy on um, Andrew Petcash from the states, I think, last week, and he was talking about he's extremely bullish on 
athletes now being at the center of everything in sport. They are, you know, they were kind of used and abused somewhat, but now they're actually they're they're right in the middle and they're positioned for success. How do you see that? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, like athletes create co- content and drama in real time that is not matched in any other way. So the theatre of sport, you, you can't pre-leak an NBA final to then get pirated and everyone watch it on like a, a computer, can you? You can't. Um, you, you can't um, replicate a, a sporting moment if it's not authentic and legitimate. So there is something so pivotal about sport that I see that will continue to make it really, really valuable. And then who puts the sport on? Who does it? Who are the warriors? It's, it's the talent. Um, and so I think over a period of time, especially as TV rights fragment and, you know, leagues and teams need money, I think you'll see the rise of the power of the talent. Um, you know, even locally here in Australia, you know, rightly or wrongly, talent now wields a huge amount of influence. And I'm not judging that as to whether that's a good or bad thing. I just think you're seeing it already in real time here in Australia. Um, From a business point of view, communication is obviously key um, to your partners, obviously the talent, and then also the businesses and uh, investors, stakeholders. How do you judge that? And have you got a process you think works for you guys in terms of that? Yeah, it's really hard and I'll probably do it poorly. Um, we have embarked, we've got a fair bit better. Look, we have a, um, Pav and I have a, have a quarterly um, sort of update and video and, and catch up with all, all our shareholders. Um, uh, we've got a board which obviously represent a, a significant amount of shareholding um, and they've been very supportive over the time. Um, but it, it's one part of my life that does cause me huge stress um, because you're, you're constantly feeling like you're not addressing certain stakeholders. So, you know, like whether it's, you know, we, we grew to into the UK and the US and uh, am I servicing, am I, of, you know, communicating to them enough? Am I giving them what they need? And then you turn around, you've got your staff here in Australia. So um, I guess the process for me as I've got a bit older now with it is, is to be much more blocked in terms of the way that I put my focus in a, in a week. So, for example, the start of every day, we have a, a, a huddle. The senior exec gets together 15 minutes, done. So we don't have one-on-one meetings anymore. Um, and between 8.45 and 9.30, every layer of the business has a 15-minute kickoff so that I can jump into any layer, whether it's marketing, whether it's product, um, whether it's operations, I know that real estate exists and I can jump into that meeting if I want and vice versa. Other people can jump in too. So that's become, and, and obviously without being too mechanical about it, um, we've, we've kind of gone down the path of OKRs. So we have sort of quarterly objectives and we, uh, we, we do everything based on those objectives and those objectives cascade down through the rest of the organisation. So we, we've got a fair bit more mature now than probably what we were a few years ago. You touched on the challenges and having been on the journey with you, I know there's been some massive highs and lows that we've uh, we've walked through. Can you give us a taste of some of the the bigger ups and downs if it doesn't trigger you too much? <laughs> no, you, you talk about them now and you laugh about them. Um, oh, man, where do I start? Um, Maybe just, just a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, a couple of them. Um, well, you know, I... <laughs> I think, I mean, the first one, which is which was really pivotal, and 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 Monty, you've heard this story, but um, 
Monts and Jess, first two employees in the organisation, we're a really small team, um, you know, and I was funding the business kind of basically from a credit card. So, um, you know, and I was got up to 20 grand on one card and then stupidly I found on my online portal that I'd, I'd got a credit card years ago and the account was still there, but I couldn't find the credit card, but it was balance zero and it was like a limit of 28 Okay, I was like, you beauty. So then that funded the next two or three months of Monts and Jess uh, and I wasn't taking a wage. So look, long story short, we got to a point where we just had no, literally no cash. And I'd taken all my reserves out and Sarah, my wife, um, you know, she, she, I wasn't earning an income. She was eight months pregnant and she was working, right? And that, that was funding our entire life. And I walked down Rundle Mall, it was, it was a Tuesday, I think, and, and Monts and Jess were due to be paid on the Wednesday. And I just rang mum. I just said, mum, I just need five grand. Do you have five grand? And she said, yep. She didn't. It's the first time I've ever really asked for money. She didn't ask why. Um, and then I rang Sarah and I said, Sarah, I need you to meet me in 15 minutes at East Terrace Cafe. So she came in and I just looked at her and said, I'm going to, we had, I think we had about $1,700 left of cash, like until her next pay. And uh, I said, I'm going to need to withdraw 1600 Can you just trust me and, and bear, bear with me here? Because um, I thought, you know, I've got to make pay. Anyway, we made payment and uh, I, I, I got, uh, I think we were owed a sports bet, an, an amount from sports bet on, on the Friday and then they paid us twice. So they owed us like 12 grand. They paid us 24 and we just went, shh, don't tell anyone. And sports bet was so lax back then. They... They're exactly like their brand. They literally rang up about 10 months later and said, did we overpay you? And we're like, oh, yeah, I think you did. Oh, yeah, cool. And by that point, it was fine, you know, so off and running. So that was, that was a really big one. And then, and then COVID, you know, um, COVID was one where we woke up. We were smoking cigars and drinking scotch. We'd just done 100 grand in our first week of March thinking we're champions. And then um, on the Friday, the NBA shut down and just the whole world just went into – to being dormant and I, I walked down King William Road and sat down and thought, how do I prepare for a business? We had five weeks of cash left, five weeks. And we were like, how, how do we prepare for a business that's that's now potentially not going to make any money for a year? Um, and that was pretty gruesome. Like constantly the feeling of, 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 of thinking you can lose the business um, has been, has been you know, the hardest part of the journey and, and invariably money. Funding the business, keeping it afloat, um, is something that's always close to to my mind. Depends how far you want to go with this one, but you mentioned the the decisions you had to make through COVID. Can you just give us a an idea of what you had to do, whether it's staff or raise funding, or how did you keep you know when it's a talent activation setup? How, how do you in a situation going? How do I book people that effectively half the world's in lockdown? Yeah, well. Uh, one of the first things that happened is uh, we 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 had to prepare and say, well, what if this business doesn't earn an income for twelve months? So that was the first thing I started to think about. The third, the second thing was I thought, well, um, we won't be getting any talent activation uh, ha- ha- happening at the moment. How do we begin to move into an area which which is kind of not reliant on on talent being somewhere at a point in time. Uh, the worst part, though, wasn't that the talent activation stopped. It's that everyone who booked 
started to withdraw their money. They're saying, we need our money. Like the, the event hasn't happened. So, so our bank balance started to drop immediately. We're having to pay people back. But then we went on this kind of crusade of like, look, don't pull your money out. Can you just credit and we'll work with you and get you a great result? Um, so born out of probably the first month of, of just being shell-shocked, um, our product, our Blast product was born. And that was this idea of, well, how can we build some technology that we can then sell rather than needing to be a broker for events that aren't happening? So that was the first thing. And then the second thing we did was we, we, we didn't really do ambassadorships then. We weren't really in market. We weren't really known for it. But what we saw is all of a sudden brands who weren't now going to be spending on events um, suddenly started to pour their money into brand ambassadorships and social campaigns because that was digital, it was remote, and it, the talent could still do it. So we sort of caught this wave of revenue that we hadn't, you know, 10% of our revenue, I think, prior to that was ambassadorship. Through the COVID period, it flipped completely the other way. So 90% of all our revenue was social or ambassadorship focused. So... Um, and then the last part was the people. I think that's what we all forget is like, how do you maintain security and motivation, not only through remote times, but through people who are really like potentially even fearing their health. And, and that, you know, it feels like a bit of a blur now. I don't really know how we did it, but um, I think we just sort of distilled it down to really small wins weekly and, and um, daily kind of like celebrations. We got through today, well done, let's just wake up tomorrow and go again. What I find interesting is, you know, you've gone from leadership consulting, you know, a lot of it is you've, you know, you've got, um, you know, it's somewhat academic, you've got case studies, you know, you've got a formula, but then you actually go and live and breathe what you've been teaching. And then not only that, you're actually, you're in the fire. Like there's no, there's no kind of greater test than running a team when COVID kicks off. How did you see that in terms of like leadership on paper to actually your journey of walking all this out? Nah, it's, it's an awesome point. And, you know, when I say chalk and cheese, um, I don't, I'm not disingenuous to consultants, you know, and I'm not disingenuous to frameworks and theories because they're born from truth and there is obviously reasoning for it, but nothing compares to having... Uh, being on the front line when you're invested in a team and you are that person you just cannot compare and I've said it a few times like you can you know as a consultant I used to you know walk into an organization you throw a few land uh, landmines sorry you throw a few hand grenades and you walk out and you say good luck guys you know all the best um, but being within the machine is 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 just so is so much harder um, it's it's hard to compare. So how do you push forward? What what does the future look like? If it starts as a, a booking appearance activation company to now ambassadors to now um, Vlast products, where are you heading to next? Yeah, yep. Who bloody knows? <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, look, the way that we see it is, um, you know, we're going to continue down the path that we're on. Um, we got a few little things up our sleeve that we're going to be probably um, focusing on for the next six months, which will bring, I think, a significant amount of growth to the business. But it will all be about technology and it will all be about servicing this part of the sort of sport and entertainment landscape. Um, and, and, you know, we think AI from our perspective, too, is actually going to really enhance what we're doing. 
Um, and so we're sort of excited about the way that that's going to be infused into our product. What do, what do you mean by that? Tell us how AI can, can actually impact and transform this world of talent activation. Um, well, it's the matchmaking. So, you know, we've put a lot of effort in over the time to, you know, create a really good algorithm and a, and a, and a good product which says, okay, you know, who's the best available talent for your budget and your brief? Um, but, you know, AI brings that to the next level. And so the, the ability to tap into that via API and, and build our own little product, um, we think, you know, it gives the, the customer the best opportunity to to kind of match make with the talent. So that's, I guess, what we're super excited about. And to keep your futurist hat on, I mean, what do you, and I know you love to, to grandstand a bit. I can see you getting positioned to really just let rip here. Um, where do you see it going? Like if you could dream a bit in this talent activation space, you've touched on AI. Uh, it's a very, it's still an unsophisticated space with plenty of opportunity. Like what is the big picture here? Yeah, I'm really keeping a close eye on the uh, AI stuff at the moment, actually. Um the way, the way that I see it going is it puts the person with the, it gives immense power to the person with the need. So what do I mean by that is typically there are layers and layers of barriers that exist between the person who wants access to talent and the talent. And I see where I see this going is with AI, with technology and with talent themselves realizing their power. I think you're going to see talent grow up um, to become very, very astute and savvy at picking the commercial opportunities they want. And I think there's going to be an explosion in, in connections because of like the, yeah, literally that, the ability for the, the person with the budget and the need to be able to seamlessly find who they want, get hold of them and transact. And traditionally, there are lots of barriers to that happening and in the future those will diminish and there'll be a much closer relationship between the two stakeholders and one further one on this topic what is the talent okay so for example a young warren treadray wants to make themselves more appealing to yes i need a commercial a um, social base and social media and followers and all that but how, how does one become more ai liked so to speak <laughs> is it possible oh yeah i mean well firstly having an imprint in the digital and media system. So, I mean, what is AI? It can only capture data, right? So you've got to be prevalent. You've got to be, you've got to be creating touch points online. And, and, and the second point though, and this is, this is a really interesting sort of kind of um, dichotomy that exists at the moment with talent is they've never been more sterile. They've never towed the line better at club level. They're never more conditioned to say what they should say. But on the flip side, you look at Ja Morant in the, in the NBA, on the flip side, they've never been more themselves on their social, right? So the one thing that we know, if you are getting booked, it's because you've got an opinion and you've got a personality. And you look at what Kane Corns is doing so beautifully and everyone is outraged and everyone gets annoyed at him. But like he'd just be laughing because like, that's my job, right? And the reason he's successful is because he's opinionated. I mean, he backs it up. He's a smart guy and he's got the evidence, right? But... We look at the talent like, um, you know, who's good. You know, Danger does it really well um, and he can because he's Danger. But I look at the younger guys and I go, how do you maintain your sense of self and personality and opinion 
and 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 you know sort of stand out and that's what brands want they want someone who's going to stand out I think it was a genuine question from Woz because he was remarking before our interview. He was really flat. He applied for a, um, I think it was a, I think it was actually a pretty good gig. It was a six grand gig. He was licking his lips. And you shafted got, me. And then he got knocked back on the platform. Are you on the platform? Can you, please explain. Oh, Am oh. I on the platform? Am I what? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll break some, break some necks. We'll, we'll, we'll get that. No, I mean, like, to, what's your bio like, Warren? You, I don't know. Yeah, I just so did you, it, did it in five minutes. Monty goes, yeah. have a look at this. All right, I'll sign up to that. Yeah, yeah. I was headed to the grand final, got paid to sit there with a punter and drink beers. That would have gone, mate, it was perfect. Yeah. Well, you see, that's, you don't know what's out there. Uh, I mean, I think you're doing a pretty good job. Treaders at, at, at create having an opinion. I think you got to keep double, doubling down, and and as long as that's, <laughs> as long as that's authentic, uh, you know you you you'll have your audience. Now we're going to finish off with fast five little series of questions. You know the drill, bags. Uh, I'm going to start off with the weirdest deal that you have ever facilitated at Pickstar. Well, after the Essendon saga, we did have a uh, peptide business who wanted to who wanted to do a deal with an ex-talent and we actually facilitated that. So I thought, well, we're not going to make any moral judgments, but that was certainly a strange one. So clearly an ex-Essendon player and clearly would have got paid well to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think... It, it, it wasn't an Essendon player, that's for sure. Um, your biggest fanboy moment in sport? Um, Adam, Adam Gilchrist is a shareholder and invested into Pickstar and I just absolutely nuffy the shit out of him every time I see him. Like we're on, we're on good terms now, but I, I, I went for a beer with him when he was over for the test and I just, I, I just was pinching myself sitting in Peel Street having a beer with Gilly. And the amazing thing with Gilly is he just loves talking cricket. You know, he, he, he can't get enough of it. So I, I just asked him every punter question under the sun and could have gone on for hours. Who do you rate as Australia's strongest athlete brand? So as in like what, a, a, an individual or a, or a team? Individual. It's uh, a really great, great question. I probably don't go down the obvious path. Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, but Georgie Parker, I think, has done an amazing job to build her career from her brand. And I think you could go all the Pat Cummins and, Cam Green, you get all the big brands. I just think, though, what Georgie's done, for those who don't know, ex-Hockey Roo, but she's just effectively built a career by being a, a personality, and I think she's she's done really well. She's a, a, a Pickstar legend as well. She's been on the platform from almost day dot, has to be said. What's the one change you would make about the sports industry? I, 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 would, I would stop. I would encourage to, I would almost stop clubs from sanctioning talent who don't toe the line so the worst thing that happens in the sporting industry right now is that talent speak i switch off i literally switch off i got nothing i don't want to hear any current talent say anything it's boring um and and what i would love is i love seeing profanities used in the nba you know press conferences and they're not hounded for it they're opinionated they're colorful they're themselves they're emotional Amazing. That's what I want. So in AFL, you want to see players challenge MRO findings because in media we're doing it every week and also horrible decisions. Whatever. Don't care. 
Yeah, as long as the athlete cops are fine, that's move on. Like you know, uh, it's more the the hounding. You know, like so, I I love it when you know players have got beef with each other. I love it when there's a bit of argy bargy between. Like I love it when clubs talk down on other clubs. Like you know, I, I really do think the Australian talent sporting landscape is really sterile, and I just would love to see them be allowed to sort of shine. And uh, yeah, it's they just get beaten down. 100% agree. Now, finally, mate, your biggest motivation at the moment. What is it? Uh, my biggest motivation uh, as like, you know, oh God, what do you mean motivation? Just no, any, mate, it's an open question. I know you're a thinking man's footballer. What what drives you? I'll go away from that. So I've been going to the art gallery a lot. I love art. And I just bought my first uh, Dorrit Black canvas from the art gallery it was my favorite painting and i've just finished a book on jeffrey smart who is a good unley boy but one of australia's preeminent artists and art is giving me an immense amount of satisfaction and pleasure at the moment he's a thinking man's footballer jeez he is he's not normal mate he's not a normal footballer worrying about whether it's screw-ins or molds he's, i tell you what i have done though I have actually re-engaged. Like I've been, I've been to every Crows home game, and that's the first time I reckon I've ever been to a game since I played. Um, and I'm loving. I'm actually loving going to the footy. So there's another one. That's Did you fall out of love with it? Oh, well, uh, probably for all, your, all my own personal shit. Like you know, you walk away and you 61 games in seven years, so you got all your own sense of failure stuff, crap going on. I think also too that. There's a lot of the footy circus that just is boring. It's the same stuff over and over again. Uh, logistics. I hate lining up. I hate lots of people. Like, <laughs> so I think, and, and, and the catalyst for me has been my son, Flynn, who's now eight and he's got his cards, footy cards, and he's massively not. So I've started to take him and all of a sudden it's just clicked for me. I just, you know, even when they lose, I don't care. I just love the process now of going in on a Saturday, I jump on the tram and I sort of rekindled my, enjoyment and i've let go of all my own crap i think with with going to the footy so it's been a really nice part of my world and to be honest i hear that story a lot i do yeah yeah you hear that a lot you know some go on and work in media some don't some go to coaching and still in the bubble there there is a a nice space outside of it for a period of time and a lot of people may not return and people can't understand that but others find their way back like you have yeah yeah no it's i've always I've kept my tentacles in in the world of of, of footy, and um, I, without being too existential, like I did through the gather round, really appreciate having you know been involved now for like you know twenty years or whatever it is, and you, you know I've went to a few events, and all of a sudden I really felt I belonged to the footy environment, and um, and 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 kind of proud that I'd been around for this long, and uh, and so that was a really nice moment I think for me, and. Um, seeing so many of your friends just continue to dominate in the footy world, whether it's coaching or administration, sort of um, makes it a bit easier. Uh, but all of a sudden, I realised maybe that is my craft. Footy's been my craft, but just don't know it. Maybe. Well, it's a lovely note to finish on, sir. Thank you, Begs, for joining us on the Big Deal. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Big Deal. Before you go. Don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.